Welcome to the Reach Podcast with your pastor, Philip Jackson. You understand that God's Word is the most powerful force in the universe, um, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, right? Um, and usually what that means is whenever we, whenever uh, either Taylor or I teach, we usually choose a passage and we go 10 miles deep. And that's one of the things that God has, has just has put on, on our heart as the, as the pastors and as the leaders, that um, uh, one of the convictions that I, that I have, I see young adult ministry uh, around the country, and it is, uh, it's really common for us to, for, for, for me to see um, pastors approach an idea and they say, okay, what does the Bible say about this idea? And so they preach a lesson, uh, they teach a lesson, and they basically just cherry pick passages from all over the Bible and cram it into their own little framework. And the challenge with that is that I take, I don't let God's word shape my viewpoint. My viewpoint shapes God's word. And so one of the things that we feel convicted about um, as, as something that's really important for us in REACH is that we want to understand what God's Word says as deeply as possible. And that means that we need to uh, be uh, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Typically, that's how we teach. But tonight, over the next five, less, five weeks, um, I'm going to teach topically. It's not something that I do very often. It's not something that I like to do. But um, in order for us to, to, to fully understand uh, these concepts, it's important for us to see what all of Scripture says. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the five levels of community within the church. Now, if you have been around church any, any amount of time, you probably know, okay, we have Sunday school, right? What else do we have? Life church. We got big church. Yes. Okay, maybe we, you've probably heard of discipleship or mentorship, right? And then you've heard this, this word this, that's all around reach, right? Abide, right? So how does all this fit together? Now, um, I'll put this really, really simply for you, okay, so you know where we're heading. Okay, the first level of community is an abiding relationship with Christ. This is level one, okay? One is abiding. Number two, right here, uh, we see uh, Jesus' relationship with his disciples uh, was close, but he was more intimately connected with Peter, James, and John than he was with the other nine. And so this is a picture of, of discipleship. These guys saw him in different ways than the other nine did. They saw him in the most vulnerable moments of his life. So if you guys have, have done discipleship or been around discipleship at all, you know that, that you get quality time with quantity time. Okay? Now, level three, this right here. I just realized I'm missing my fifth level down here. Level three is uh, the twelve. Okay, this is an example of a small group or a life group. Now, I want you to notice something, that as the community gets bigger, vulnerability goes down, accountability goes down, intimacy goes down. Jesus was very, very close with his heavenly father. We'll look at that tonight. He was very close with Peter, James, and John, but not as close as he was to the father. He was close to the 12, but not as close as he was to Peter, James, and John. We see this in how his, his ministry uh, progressed. The fourth level of community 
is the 70 or the 120. These are, this is the farm team that they used, that God used to pull Matthias out of to take Judas's place. Or uh, he sent them on mission to go cast out demons in his name and to do all, corns, all kinds of miracles for him. Um, this, is, this, is the, this is the 120 people who were, who were tucked up in an upper room at Pentecost when Peter stands up and starts preaching in Acts chapter 2 and 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. God uses these 120 people to disciple those 3,000. Okay, so level four is what you might consider a Sunday, Sunday school class. Okay, and then finally, the fifth level. The fifth level is the 5,000. The 5,000, this is a, a broad appeal for people to come into a relationship with God. Why is this important for us to understand? It's because the fundamental thing that we're going to talk about tonight is that life change happens here. A person's life is filled by their time with Christ, their abiding relationship with Christ. And as they become filled with his spirit and filled with community with him, that naturally produces a love for other people, for, for God's people. That produces discipleship because people look at them and they say, hey, there's something that you've got that I don't have. You probably have noticed this with someone in your orbit. You see someone chasing Jesus and you're like, man, I don't, we both do the same things, but you've, you're, there's something different about you. I want what you've got. And so abiding turns into discipleship. Now from discipleship, now we're like, man, we're spending time together and we're, we're, uh, we're growing. Some of you are in the middle of this right now. God is doing things in your life for the first time ever, and it's really exciting. And you know what? You're looking around and you're seeing, man, who else can I give this to? This is incredible. That discipleship pours into a life group or a small group, and God begins to give your heart to his people. From here pours into our Sunday school classes, and then finally when people come into church, they, come, they, they, they say, man, I see this, this intimacy in this, this Sunday school class. I want more of that. Man, I see this life group. Man, I want some more of that. Man, discipleship, that's what I want. Oh, yes, I realize what I've been looking for the whole time is abiding. And so what happens is that as these fill one another, people begin to return. Now, the reason why this is significant is because, like I said, life change happens here. So how can someone sit in a pew for 50 years and still be an angry, crotchety old person, sour to their core? Because they've attended church They've sang the songs. They know when to stand up and when to sit down. They know when to do the greeting. They know there's going to be two songs, then the welcome. Then we're going to do uh, three songs, and then we're going to hear the sermon. But they've never experienced the life-changing power of God. They know all the church stuff. They know how to speak the church life, That's the, the church language. They know the secret handshake and all that stuff. But they never seem to figure out why some people are just super Christians, they seem, and some aren't. My, my belief is that most people... They live here when they go to church. They live on the outside, and they say, man, some of these people, like they're all about church. That's all they want to do is just be at church. That's super weird. I don't get that at all. But the thing that they're missing is they don't, they're not seeing the world through God's eyes. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, at a, a survey of Scripture. And um, I've got some of the Scriptures on the board here, on the screen for you uh, to help you out, so you can jot those down as we go. Before we, but before we get into that text, I want, I want to point some things out. You know, this has actually become the roadmap for how we've done REACH. 
You may not realize this, but four and a half years ago when I came on staff as the pastor to young adults, I had no idea what I was doing. I still don't, actually. I'm making this up as I go. All I knew was this right here, that if I abide, that God will take care of the rest. And wouldn't you know it, he said in John chapter 4, pray. Pray that I will send, I'll send you champions. Because the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So just pray for champions. And wouldn't you know it, a couple of weeks later, I get word this guy named Taylor is moving home. And then I hear a few weeks later, this Haley lady shows up. And God begins to assemble this core group of people that grows. And God literally has seen us do this for the last four and a half years. The reason this is important is because of expectations. In Genesis chapter 2, God finishes making the world and making a man. He places Adam in the garden. You guys remember the creation story. And God looks at Adam, and Adam has a perfect walk with God. He has uh, no sin in his life. He has three squared meals a day. He has purpose. He has a beautiful place to live. There is no obstacles in his life whatsoever. And what's God's observation? This isn't good. It's not good because man's alone. He needs community. So we need to understand that God desires for us to be in community. This is not something that is new. It's not something that is a New Testament idea. This goes back to the beginning. We were meant to be with people. In fact, loneliness, if you are perpetually alone, it has the same health effects on you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's pretty common when older folks who have been married for a long time, when one of them passes away, that, the, uh, that their spouse only lasts for a little, little bit of time after that before they finally pass away too. We say that, somebody, that people die of a broken heart. It's loneliness. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for you and I. And, he's, and he prays that we would be unified, or that, we, that we would be one like he and the Father are one. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, he says that there is one body and one spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Taylor taught on this just the other day, that the body is not, not one part, but many. But here's the thing. God wants us to be in godly community. One of the challenges that we face in, um, in our generation, especially in young adult circles, is the buzzword of community. Community, community, community. It's all about community. It's about being together. It's about just having a family, right? And we use a lot of family language about that. But inevitably, when you get people together, conflict comes with it, right? And if people aren't equipped to handle conflict, what happens? That community is incredibly fragile. And it doesn't take much for it to start to fracture. And so the best way that we can hold community together if we're not building it on on the truth is that we, we just have to keep it small. We just exclude people. So we just keep it as small as we can, as tight as we can. But the problem is that that's not God's design. So we can't just say, oh, it's about being with my people. It's about understanding this from the biblical perspective. Godly community is always going to push us towards the Father and towards life change. Ungodly community is always going to be content with not changing or staying stagnant, staying still. People will resent you when you move forward, when you grow in an ungodly community. But in a godly community, they will want you to grow. They will want you to change. They will want you to blossom and be what God has called you to be. There are several different cases in Scripture, Mark 10, Luke 18, Matthew 19, where godly uh, community comes with a promise. Jesus says in Mark 10, he, uh, he's talking about uh, the cost of discipleship. 
and that, that you're going to lose you're going to lose relationships because people are going to want they're going to think that you're leaving them behind or they're going to resent you for different reasons. And he says you need to understand something that what you give away in singles I will replace a hundredfold. There's a point in Jesus's ministry I've taught on this before we don't have time to get into it tonight where his family, his biological family, his mother, Mary, and his siblings they see him out doing ministry and healing people and they think he's crazy, clinically insane, and they're going to go put his, their hands on him. This is a real thing. You can look it up. And so they send somebody in. Jesus is teaching to a crowd. They send a little boy in to go get his attention and bring him out. And Jesus says, no, my family's right here. And he points to the disciples. And he turns his back on his family because they were getting caught in their, their own uh, insecurities. I want you to understand, I know, I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but we're hardwired to be part of a community. And we need to understand how each one of these plays a role in our life in order to have a fulfilled, um, fulfilled understanding of who God is and also be in proper relationship with each other. I believe that a healthy believer is going to be a part of every single one of these, these, part, these uh, levels of community. We can't be in big church and excluding abiding. We sure, For sure not. We can't be in Sunday school and excluding a life group. This is comprehensive to who we are as people. How each level impacts us changes uh, depending on where we're, where we're serving and where we are. We're going to start in John chapter 15. So turn your Bibles over to John 15. We're going to read the first eight verses. And I have this on the screen for you. This is Jesus. Uh, these are his, 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 some of his final words. He's about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray where he's going to be arrested and he's going to be tried and then crucified the next day. And these, this is, these are some of the last words that he tells his disciples. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine keeper. Uh, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Your Bible might say, abide in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. How do we prove that we're, God's, that we're Jesus' disciples? We bear fruit. But notice, the fruit isn't our job. Our job is to abide, right? You guys have heard me say this for a long time. We've got one job, and what is it? Abide. To abide, that's right. So, a couple of passages here. Let's move. We're going to move through some of these fairly quickly. The first thing I want you to see in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. He goes on to say, the Father who hears you in secret will reward you openly. Abiding begins in private. One of the common rebukes that Jesus had towards the Pharisees was that they were trying to do their religion for other people to see to try to get their attention right? Because these people were the popular ones. These are the people that had money, that they had, they had position. They, he, they wanted to be uh, seen by others and worshiped. They thought they were the stars of the show. But Jesus says abiding is something that happens in private. This isn't something that we have to broadcast. I don't have to tell you um, that I had an amazing 
time in the Word, you should be able to see it. I should be overwhelmed with, with the fruit of the Spirit, right? Abiding begins in private. In Luke 5, when Jesus is pursued by people with, an overwhelm, with overwhelming needs, he withdraws himself to spend time alone with the Father. In, verse, in, in Luke 5, let's turn over there. Luke 5, 15 and 16. I have these notes up here, but I can't help. I've got to read more of it. 15 and 16. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him, and he healed their, uh, it, that he, to be healed of their sicknesses. But he himself would often slip away to a desolate place and regions to pray. Abiding restores us when people are extra. Have you ever met those people that just like, once you spend like five seconds with them, you feel dead inside? You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes? Abiding restores us. How can someone be overwhelmingly kind to someone who's difficult? They abide. They remain. One of the, one of the, the foundational principles of this is that if I spend time with, with Jesus, if I spend time with the Holy Spirit and I spend time in God's Word, I end up seeing people the way that He sees them. I see them. I see their hurt. I see their immaturity. I see their maliciousness. I see their manipulation. And that closeness gives me eyes to see a situation that I otherwise would just walk right into. Not only to be able to see the potential in people and to give them patience and kindness, but also to give them grace and mercy. Think about this. We, talk, we, we prayed just a second ago that God would reveal to us uh, areas of our life that we needed to confess to him. Every time that you come to God, that you come to Jesus for, for forgiveness, for redemption, does he give you a checklist of all the things you've got to do before he loves you? No. In the same way, when we abide, when we deal with people who are difficult, God gives us a shepherd's eyes to be able to see people and to love them. And we can, we can work through their insecurities. So whenever they lash out, whenever they're hurtful, man, you know what? It's incredible because God gives us this supernatural patience. Many years ago, I had a, I had a mentor. His name was Gabe. And um, I can't tell you how many times I would sit across from his desk, spending time with him, doing discipleship, and I would just be like fuming. I'd be like, like spinning out of control. And he would just be like smooth as glass. He was the weirdest thing ever. Kind of irritated me, actually. It's like, I don't care. I don't understand this. Every time I come to you and I'm upset, you're just like even. And then I realized that that wasn't Gabe. That was, he was abiding. He taught me this principle. It's in God's word. You know, when people are extra, I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes I'm extra. I'm a little extra. Taylor knows this. Lindsay for sure, for sure knows this. That I can get a little, uh, a little overwhelming. But abiding keeps us steady. It helps us love people. When Jesus was getting ready for the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount is, is in Matthew 5 through 7. Um, he goes away to pray, to gather his thoughts. Mark 135 tells us that he, that he uh, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and went out and made his way to a deserted place, and he was praying there. 
In the rest of that story in Mark chapter 1, the, the disciples come to him and they say, oh, goodness, thank goodness, Lord, we found you. Um, we have all this list of stuff that we've got to do today. And since Jesus had spent time alone, he was gathering his, his thoughts and his priorities. He said, no, we're not going to do that. I know that was the plan, but we're not going to go that way anymore. We're going to go do this, this, and this. Luke chapter 6, verse, verse 12 through 16 says, During those days he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Abiding prepares us for what God calls us to do. If you guys have been around me any length of time, you know that I, I, I am not in charge. I'm not. Um, I do my best to do whatever the Lord tells us to do. And sometimes that doesn't make sense in the moment, but sometimes I look smarter than I really am. And it's not because of me. It's just because of what the Lord does. Spending time with him prepares us for what's next. So here's a question that, that we talk about quite often in, in our community is, what is God's will for my life? Well, the best way to know God's will is to know him, to have a relationship with him, to, be, to walk so closely with him to where you know what he wants for you. Jesus said that the way that we would know his will is if we obeyed his commandments. You know, when you were young, I would wager that if your parents were halfway decent parents at all, they probably had boundaries for you. That meant that you could do some things and you couldn't do other things. Some parents are a little bit more stringent than others, but the principle is the same. And you probably knew, if you were presented with a situation without your parents present, you probably knew what they would say or what they would do. What, right? How? Because you spent time with them. You knew them. You knew, you knew what their priorities were. You knew how they would respond to certain requests, which is why we tended to go to a different parents depending on what answer we wanted, right? If the weird kid from school asked us to a sleepover, we'd go ask mom because she was going to be a hard no, right? But if our best friend asked us to spend the night, we're going to go talk to dad first because dad's a, a likely yes. Because let's be honest, dad probably doesn't know what's going on. Same thing is true for spending time with God is that we spend time with him to prepare ourselves for what God calls us to do. This is a, this is a core part of Jesus' life, going away by himself to spend time with the Father. Well, the disciples, a lot of times they had to find Jesus because he was always sneaking off to be um, by himself. Mark, Mark 1.35 says that in the morning that he went, away, went alone by himself. But another thing that abiding does is it helps us frame our priorities. In Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 18, it says this. And it happened while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others, the one of the, the, one of the prophets of the old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. But he warned them and directed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. It helps us frame our priorities. Jesus would spend time with the Father because he understood that he was not operating on his timeline. He was operating on the Father's timeline. There may be things in your life that you know are ahead of you, you may know, okay, God's given me a calling in this direction to do this kind of work or to be in this type of a scenario. 
But a lot of times what happens is we, we frame our expectations based on what we want, and we try, to, we try to cram everything into our timeline, and we get frustrated with God because he's not moving fast enough. This might be, we talk about the trajectory, right? The trajectory of, of this is, these are the waypoints of my life, and it's going to go this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to graduate high school, and then I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to meet the guy or the girl, and then we're going to get married, and we're going to graduate, and we're going to, uh, not necessarily in that order, and then we're going to get the job, and then we're going to get the cars, and get the houses, and all the stuff. And then we're going to have babies. It's going to be wonderful. But what happens when you go to college and all of a sudden freshman year doesn't pan out the way that you thought and you end up, in your mind, flatlining and you drop out of school? Or what if you, uh, that relationship that you thought was the one doesn't work out? We tend to frame our priorities based on what we want according to our timeline. But one of the things that Jesus shows us in his, in his relationship with the Father is that it gave him perspective about life. He knew what he needed to focus on, what he needed to invest in, and he wasn't in a hurry. It helped him frame his priorities. After Jesus sent the disciples away to preach in Mark chapter 6, they healed the sick and they cast out demons. He told uh, them to go and rest and to go to a secluded place, abiding Uh, is something to be taught and encouraged. Mark 6 says this, verses 30 and 31. Then the apostles gathered to to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to to a deserted place and rest a while. For there are many coming and going, and they did not even have time to go eat. What does this mean? Well, these guys just got back from a mission trip, and they're so excited about what God's done in their life. And what does Jesus say? I want you to go rest. I want you to go rest and pray. Go to a deserted place. Collect your thoughts. Reflect on what's happening in your life. You know, sometimes the most godly thing that you can do is to just take a break. Just take a minute. There's another story in the Gospels about two sisters, two of Jesus' best friends, Mary and Martha. And you guys know the story where he comes and... um, Mary is sitting at his feet listening to Jesus teach. But Martha's running around the house like a chicken with her head cut off, trying to do all the serving, make sure everybody has, has, is, is taken care of, has food and something to drink. And Jesus says that Martha is distracted by her much serving. Burnout is a real thing because burnout comes from a place where we do a lot of work, but we're not abiding. We're not spending time with him. We don't have any perspective. We don't have any understanding of what's going on. And so we're just serving, 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 because that's what you do, right? We just serve. Because, you know, God's mad at me if I don't do that. Serving comes as a natural byproduct of abiding. It doesn't come first. It comes after. And the thing is, is that a lot of time, the story of my life and the story of many of you that I know that God has done real work in your life, you've realized that serving comes alongside abiding. That as you're abiding, as you're growing, you're in the context of a safe relationship, a discipleship relationship. And guys, God is restoring you. You're in godly community the whole time. You're not serving to make God happy. You're serving because you're learning to love him. Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to go and I want you to spend some time and I want you to unpack what I'm doing in your life. I want you to take a break. There have been, um, there have been times when either the men have, that have discipled me or guys that I have discipled, when they get wrapped around the axle and they get, they get uh, discouraged because they're getting too wound up 
and I tell I I tell tell them take a break. I want you to just let's just take a couple weeks. Let's just pump the brakes a little bit. I want you to go and I want you to pray about this. Pray about what what God's doing in your life to give yourself some pers- some perspective. Another thing that abiding does is that it restores us when we are tired and overwhelmed. After feeding the five thousand, Jesus decides that he is going to go away. In Matthew fourteen, he says. After dismissing the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Mark chapter 6, verse 46 says, After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. You know, um, sometimes people can be extra, but sometimes situations can wear us down too. What do you do when you're overwhelmed with a situation? What's your coping mechanism? Is your coping mechanism... Uh, food? Is your coping mechanism sleep? Do you just want to, I'm just going to get in my bed, pull the covers up, close my eyes, and I'm not going to worry about my problem. Some of, your, some of you, your coping mechanism maybe is something else. Maybe you have tasted uh, the forgetfulness that comes with alcohol or drugs or sex or pornography. We run, we run to these things to try to deal with the serious situations that we're in. But the challenge is that the enemy and the world and our sinfulness wants us to run to things that are going to numb us so that we can't make proper decisions to get out or to see the situation as it truly is. But godly wisdom says we should go away, retreat to be alone with him to get perspective so that he can help us process these things that we're going through. When we're tired and we're overwhelmed, where should we go? What should be our coping mechanism? It should be God. Turn over to Psalm Psalm 91. I love Psalm 91 because it is a prayer of help. In these first four verses... The psalmist says this. He who abides in the shelter of the Most High. Oh, wow, there's that word again, abides. He who abides in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the destructive pestilence. He will cover you with his, with his pinions and under his wings you will take refuge. His truth is a large shield and a bulwark. A bulwark is a fortress, something that protects you from harm. What he says right out of the gate in Psalm 91 is he says, God is my safe place. God is my running place. He's he's the fortress that I run to when I'm overwhelmed. When we're dealing with situations where we are exhausted, we don't know what to do, where do we go? We've got to go to the source. We've got to stay here because this is where true strength comes from. Because the reality is we bring nothing to the table. Nothing at all. The strength that we think that we have is supplied by God, even down to the breath in our lungs. It's all supplied by God. So why would I run to something that would distract me from the truth instead of run to something that will give me perspective and help me not just cope, but also to see the, the growth in, in the opportunities that are around me? The last thing is that abiding helps us face hard things. Before the crucifixion, guess what Jesus did? He went alone by himself to pray. Look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 36. Beginning of verse 36, it says, 
Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, okay, level two, um, and began to be grieved and distressed. Notice as Jesus walks away from the crowd when he's with his boys, he begins to show, show what's really going on in his heart. This is a picture for us who, who disciple other people. You think you've got to have all your crap together? You don't. Authentic, real life with people. We are not the experts. We are disciples. So Jesus begins to show his humanity here. Verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He's asking them for help. You ever thought about that, that Jesus asked for help? Man, what does, that, what does that say about us when we can't ask people for help? Verse 39. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Notice he is conforming himself to the will of the Father. Verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if, it, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came to them and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Here's the thing. Jesus knew he was about to get crucified. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew that they were going to beat him. He knew they were going to be merciless. And yet, where does he go to find comfort? Where does he go to find perspective? He goes alone. And he asks for help. He says, come with me. But notice that his friends aren't the determining factor whether or not he abides. The reality is that there will be times in your life when you will have to stand alone. You will have to be alone. And you have to find your confidence in a sure place, in a real place. And that is at the throne of of Christ. We draw strength from each other. That is absolutely true. But we don't draw all of our strength from each other. Our true strength comes from the Lord. One of the challenges that we face is that we borrow, we borrow the faith of other people and we think that that's going to be enough for us. What happens when that person goes away? What happens in our discipleship when it's our turn to start pouring into somebody else and our mentor isn't there anymore? When we're supposed to be mature, Paul gets frustrated with the Corinthians. He says, I want you to be eating meat. I want you to be reading and feasting on God's word and, 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 and pulling apart real hard truth. But you know what? You're still sipping milk. We're still talking about the basics. I want you to be mature, rightly dividing the word of truth. But Jesus, he goes and he prays. This is where he finds the strength to, to face the hard things ahead of him. And you know it worked. After he has been beaten within an inch of his life, most of his skin torn off of his body, a lot of his hair pulled out, bruised and battered, they nailed him to the cross, and you know what his first response is? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. His first response was a prayer. So when you're alone, when you're dealing with struggle, when you're dealing with challenges, when you're dealing with being overwhelmed, with overwhelming people, when you have to face hard things, where do you go? 
What are you abiding in? What are you remaining in? What are you choosing to, to, to draw strength from or perceive strength? A healthy community starts with an abiding relationship with Christ. And just like he abided in the Father, we've got to understand that if we want to have healthy relationships and love people correctly, we have to be abiders. Why does this matter? I don't know about you, but I want healthy friendships. I want good friends in my life. I want a healthy relationship with my children and with my wife and with my family. I want to love my nieces and nephews well. I want to love my friends well. I can't do that if I'm not abiding, and you can't either. You want to have fulfilled, meaningful people in your life? Be a God abider. And here's what's amazing. Jesus said, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised when ungodly people don't want to be around you anymore. And you know what happens? God peels those toxic people away from you because you're chasing him. Because our job is not to fit in with the world. Our job is to stand in contrast with the world. Because if we're just like them, then we bring them nothing. But the other thing is that God bonds us to people and they love us so well. You know, I'll be real with you that God has given my heart to a lot of people and not all of them have treated me well. I've had people that were very close friends leave me and say things about me that aren't true. People that I have fed at my table in my house who have played games in my living room, who watch their children and they've watched ours. I've had people hurt me. But you know, I remember whenever I think about those things is that Jesus did that too. He gave his heart to people because he was abiding in, in the Father and that changed the way that he saw the world. That's what gave him the fuel and, and the power and the strength to be able to do what God had called him to do. So let me wrap up. If this shows you anything, I want you to see that God wants you to be in community. And he wants you to have deep friendships, but that starts with your relationship with Christ. If you don't know Jesus, that's, that's where we need to start. I know that many of you in here already have a relationship with Jesus, and that's great. Some of you have, been, have fallen into the trap of thinking that you've got to earn your way into God's favor. Like, oh, yeah, he saved me, but now I've got to keep my, my, my account in the black, otherwise he's going to be mad at me. It's not the way that it works. Some of you have forgotten what it means to remain in him. And I want to challenge you to repent of that, to turn away from that, to remember that I've got one job. God doesn't need me, but he wants me. He wants me to be in relationship with him. How do we start that? You guys have probably seen these bookmarks. I printed some more today. Being a God, godly, uh, a God abider means that we've got to spend time with him. This is a little bookmark. On one side, it has the ACTS prayer acronym, just like we did tonight. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. A little bit of prompts on there so you guys can, can see what's next if you don't know how to pray. And on the back side is a simple roadmap of how to have a quiet time. This actually kind of makes a halfway decent straight edge, too, if you want to underline things in your Bible. But this is really simple. You start off with reading God's Word. If you don't know where to start, James. Read the book of James. There's five chapters, one for every weekday. You got two bonus days if you miss a day. 
Read one chapter a day. It's a great one-on-one place to start. Read the book of James. Once you read, read a chapter, there's going to be a verse that's going to stand out to you. You ask God, okay, hey, teach me. Show me how to read your word. Teach me about who you are. And a verse will pop out, and you ask the question, what does this teach me about God? So you write the scripture at the top of your page, and then you, and you write, this is the star method. Scripture first, then the thought conveyed. Okay, what does the verse actually mean in context? Application, what do I do with it? And then lastly, the response. I write a letter to God. I learned this when I was 15 years old, and I still do it. It's, it's awesome. Uh, some days I write one page. Some days I write two sentences. Some days I'm just like, God, this sucks, and I just write a bunch of stuff. And, you know, sometimes what I realize is that um, if I get it out of my brain and I get it on the page, I get clarity. God gives me perspective on things. I made a bunch of copies of these. These are laminated so you guys can take them with you and put them in your Bible. Um, I want to encourage you to be in the Word. Be with godly people. Um, Abiding happens. uh, When you're serving, you need to be abiding while you're serving. And um, there's a lot of great people in this room that want to do life with you if you're still on the edge. Lastly, I want to challenge you to join a life group or to be involved in a small group. Um, you just can't get, get, you can't do life and say you love Jesus and not be with his people. It's not how, not how that works. That's like saying, man, PJ, I really like you, but I really don't want to hang out with you. That doesn't make any sense. Um, here's my last encouragement. I know this seems a little academic, but I'm telling you right now, I've been chasing Jesus for over 30 years now, and I've tried to do it every way possible. I've tried to be the worker bee. I've tried to be the meek and mild. I've tried to be the dismissive one. I've tried to do all the things. And every time it comes back to this, I've got one job. So if you know that you have been chasing activity, if you've been on the edges if you haven't been abiding in him, come and talk to me. Come and talk to Taylor after we pray tonight. We want to help you. The best thing that you can do with your life is to know God. It's amazing. Terrifying, but it's amazing. Let that be who we are. As we go out from here today, may we be defined by one thing that we are God abiders. In Jesus' name. Hey guys, this is Philip Jackson, pastor of young adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that's defined by real transformation and a sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.